0: Thank you for joining us on Belief Busters Podcast. We have created a new series where we discuss the beliefs people have about God, religion, spirituality, divinity, and intuition. This space is created for you to hear what folks think God is, how their perceptions may have changed, what works for them today, or what no longer serves them. Consider this a sacred conversation, affirming that there are multiple paths for people to have a connection to what they call God or source or allness, principle, love. It doesn't matter what we call God, God is. The beliefs that individuals share on this program does not necessarily reflect my personal beliefs, but I do believe. That whatever the journey is, whatever the purpose of the journey to connect to, the allness of the universe that the individual takes is sacred and worthy. And so I invite you to join in this conversation on Belief Busters. So today on Belief Busters, we are concluding our series about God and what people are thinking about God by... Challenging our beliefs about who we've been indoctrinated to think God is. And I want you to imagine that you are on a jury as God is being held on trial. Let's begin. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, God is on trial today through no fault of its own. You see, God is being charged as an accomplice to hate crimes. The thinking behind this charge is that if God is omniscience and omnipotence, all knowing, all power, then God must either be an accomplice or an accessory to the crime. All one has to do is turn on the news or surf the internet, and it seems there are numerous instances of one group claiming supremacy over another. The group who sees themselves as dominant spews venomous words of hatred to those who believe differently than they do. They collude for the extermination of those whose religion may be different, or whose skin may be another color than theirs. They defame and alienate those who love differently. And each time these groups express their malevolence, they often say, God has told them to behave this way. And they are only following God's laws. Now, many of us may point fingers at those groups and say they are uncivilized, unspiritual, and uneducated. It is an attitude of non-inclusion and non-acceptance. Being deemed different, there is a collective consciousness that says they are worth less and have no real value. This is not a foreign country or religious sect touting hate. This is more than likely Christians who are in a position of power, but blame and disparage others who look differently than they do. Then we come to our own spiritual home here in unity in new thought, where we may feel a sense of smugness that we have evolved beyond this sphere, we may even think that in unity, we strive for inclusion and acceptance of all people. Yet, even in new thought, isms exist. And when I use the word isms, I'm talking about things like ageism, sizeism, non-positivism, elitism, genderism, etc sometimes these isms may reflect what happens in many communities around the world sometimes it may look like the choice is to stay in our positive bubble and deny isms like systemic racism exists Most of the times it can be seen through the way we blame, shame, and marginalize those who believe or behave differently than we think they should in unity or new thought, or perhaps those who are living from a consciousness of lack. I look at my isms on a regular basis and I think I've done so much work. I'm in a good place. And then I see or think something and smack right in the face. There's another ism. Isms are insidious because our false self does a lot of comparison to others to define our own worth. If we say someone else is less than or more than us, it's a marker of where we are on the measuring stick. And it's human nature. It's also human nature to blame someone or something for things that make us unsure. And because of this type of thinking, I'm not surprised by this charge against God. In our fears and feelings of powerlessness, it is normal to want to place blame. And God seems like a likely target as we grapple with the manifestations of error in our world. That is why, as God's defense attorney and a minister, I'm here to refute those charges against God and convince you of its innocence. The need to define God in a particular way and to give God qualities that mankind understands is to limit the totality and limitlessness of God. It's in our definition that we create the illusion of a crime perpetuated by God. If we define God as a supreme being who controls our destiny, our lives, then each of us would be waiting to be saved. In this belief system, the best case scenario is that God as Superman would stop the things we deem as bad from happening to us. And when God does not stop the hatred, the disease, the forest fires, we are quick to blame and bring charges against God. What if in mankind's drive for understanding the unknowable, the indefinable, we have made an error in our understanding of what God is? What if God is simply the unlimited energy of love, life, and light? What if this unlimited energy is in everything, including you and me? Then, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, would we be able to blame God, or would we embrace being responsible for saving ourselves and our brothers and sisters. Emily Cady, a pioneer in new thought writing, helps to clarify what God is when she writes in Lessons in Truth this. It is through Christ, the indwelling Christ, that we are to receive all that God has and is as much or as little as we can or dare to claim. There is in your own indwelling all the life and health, all the strength and peace and joy, all the wisdom and support that you can ever need or desire." End quote. What Katie is saying is that each person is born with divine consciousness, God inside each of us. And we incarnate to evolve and know the truth of what we are. Our physical bodies exist as vehicles to express our consciousness. And we have the capacity to learn, explore, shift, transform, and love ourselves as well as others. Most importantly, we discover that we are all connected through our divinity, our spiritual essence. Of course, we all have choices as to whether we grow in consciousness or choose to stay asleep to the truth of what we are, divinity. Many of us choose not to awaken to that truth. And it is in humanity's choice to stay asleep that atrocities can happen. When we forget our truth and embrace fear, our thoughts become consumed by lack and separation. And we, in turn, manifest error and hatred. This is why we have spiritual communities to assist Each other in releasing those judgments and moving to discernment, releasing fear and moving to courage, releasing anger and hate and moving to love, releasing angst and anxiety and moving to peace, releasing personality and moving to compassion for others. You see, it's never been about holding God accountable. The responsibility and accountability is strictly ours. The most powerful way we can facilitate this shift in consciousness is to behold the divine within each person while walking the talk. You see, there is no us versus them. There is no I'm right and you're wrong. There is no, you're doing it wrong. There is no blame, no shame, no guilt. So when we hear perhaps a fellow congregant struggling with emotions or lack of consciousness, I invite you to love them, listen to them, hold the high watch for them, and give them a blessing to raise them up as you. End the discussion with them. Then be the divine in action by how you live your life, the words you choose, and the actions you take. The author of Mark in chapter 12, verses 30 to 31, says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What this means is, our first precept is, if we believe that God is within us, then this is about loving ourselves in totality. You see, love is our primary purpose As a spiritual being, everything we are, everything we do, and everything we think needs to come from love. The second precept we are to be in loving service to each other, led by spirit. There is no other law. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, in conclusion, I encourage you to acquit God of these charges. You see, the charges against God is being raised from fear and error beliefs. Separation from God is a fallacy. If you find God guilty, then really you find yourselves guilty. I implore you to remember your divinity. Remember your connection to source and remember your connection to each other. It is from this awareness you can only find God innocent of these charges. I invite you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, to claim your divine inheritance now. And together, let's co-create a world that works for all. So I think that's quite a a powerful metaphor for how we perceive God and that it's in our misunderstanding of what God is that we get ourselves caught up into separation. So today you have a choice. You have a choice to decide how you see God can change from those indoctrinated beliefs that are false and no longer serve you. And I think when you're able to do that, you will truly awaken. Once again, thank you for listening to us here on Belief Busters Podcast. If you are enjoying these conversations about challenging our belief systems and ways that we can go about transforming outdated beliefs, then I invite you to follow us or subscribe to us or even give us a positive review on wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to have a conversation with Reverend Cherie, you can reach her at info at beliefbusters podcast. To continue on this journey of evolution of consciousness, you can also choose to get my book, which is entitled Turning Your Why Into Why Not. You can find it at Amazon or any other booksellers. This gives you practical tools to do the work of transformation on your own. I look forward to seeing you the next time on the flip side.